The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the fourth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread throughout all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to his attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. When I was growing up, family mealtime, every time, meant family devotions. It began with breakfast, not for the whole family, in this case, but for my mom and dad, who got up at 5 or 5.30 and had breakfast together at about 5.30 with five children in the family. I think they cherished this time together, even if it was 5.30. Sometimes I would wake up and I would hear them talking. And then at the end of breakfast, I would hear them reading the daily devotional that was tucked inside the Bible. And then dad would head off to work on his bike, 9, 10, 11 months of the year. Dad and Mom both worked outside the home, but they both came from home for lunch at noon, although by way of cultural acclamation to the Dutch community of Northwest Iowa, I'll point out to you that we actually call the noon meal dinner, with lunch being something Dad packed in his Stanley lunch box for the 15-minute mid-morning and afternoon breaks at the co-op elevator where he worked. When school wasn't in session, it was absolutely expected that all would be at the table for dinner at noon with them. And at the conclusion of the meal, I mean, no one was excused prior to this. A second daily devotional that was tucked in the Bible was read. At 6 o'clock we gathered for supper, and since we generally only had two daily devotionals, at the close of supper, Dad would take the Bible and hand it to one of the children who was old enough to read and, and say something like, let's have a psalm. And then the child who'd been handed the Bible would turn to the book of Psalms, which the fam family Bible pretty much fell open to automatically, and then the designated reader would thumb through the psalms and find one to read, which after which Dad would say this table prayer he always used, and then we could leave unless it was our turn to help with dishes. Being a future pastor, of course, when I, as a 14 or something year old, was handed the Bible, I, of course, always took a moment to think about what was going on in the world. 
what was going on in our community, what was going on in our family, or, or, or maybe in the lives of one of my brothers or sisters. And then I would choose a psalm that I felt spoke particularly well in the context of that time and place. That, of course, is not true. I always just looked for the first short one I could find. My favorite, therefore, being Psalm 117, which with only two verses is the shortest psalm in the Bible. By the way, as it turns out, it's also a very good one, even at only two verses long. All of which I got to thinking about this week, of course, because I was on a lot of cold medicine. No, that's not true. Well, it is true. I've been on a lot of cold medicine, but I don't think that's the reason I got to thinking about mealtimes growing up. The actual reason I got to thinking about that this week is that in our gospel reading for today, Jesus has come home, not for supper, but for church in the town where he grew up. And though we are still early on in Luke's gospel, where Luke has not yet actually quoted any specific thing that Jesus has publicly said, he has told us that Jesus after his baptism by John, that included that voice from heaven reminding him, declaring that he was heaven's child. And then, too, that visible descending of the Holy Spirit, who then immediately led him from the waters of his baptism into the Judean wilderness, where he prayed and fasted, something traditionally done by people who were seeking to draw close to God and to be more deeply discerned the will of God. Except, says Luke, while Jesus was praying and fasting, the one whose voice he kept hearing wasn't God's, but Satan's, telling him, with Bible verses thrown in to back it up, telling him that he personally knew a way better way to get things done in the world compared to the way goofy things that he knew Jesus was already foolishly and mistakenly starting to think were the plans of heaven for him. And so he whispered to Jesus some ways that he could totally, uh, this is Satan talking, not me, but he could totally kick butt in the world as opposed to, for example, giving himself away for the life of the world. Jesus won that showdown, although to be clear, Satan did not surrender. He rather slinked away to regroup. And that's when Luke, though he doesn't yet quote anything that Jesus publicly says, does say that Jesus started publicly preaching and teaching. And as he did, people started noticing. And word started spreading, the result of which being that when he got to his home church in Nazareth, they'd heard all about that, and they asked him to do some of that preaching and teaching for them. And they did that by handing him not the whole Bible while asking him to pick out a psalm to read, but rather handing him the words of the prophet Isaiah, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, with the expectation that he would pick a passage to read, which he did. And guess what? He picked a short one. Two verses in Luke's telling. Interestingly, they weren't actually from the exact same place in Isaiah, but were rather a verse and a half from one place in Isaiah and then a phrase from a different place in Isaiah, which we can be absolutely sure Jesus, having given thought to the context, thought about 
when he combined those two verses for this occasion by reading this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now these are words that had first been spoken by the prophet Isaiah in that time, some 550, 600 years prior to that, when the captives he was speaking to were the Jews who had been exiled into captivity and slavery in Babylon. And indeed, many of these words very soon proved true, as those exiles soon were freed to return to Jeremiah, to Jerusalem, and people like Ezra and Nehemiah, whom we heard about in the first lesson, uh, helped them reestablish themselves when they got there. But one reason the words of the Bible's great prophets, like Isaiah, are as deeply true as they are, pardon me, is their ability, and even their intent, to transcend a single time and place, instead, at the very same time, to speak to multiple, some cases to all, times and places. Which Jesus made clear when after reading those two verses, he sat down, this is what rabbis did in those days, to preach, and everyone looked at him, waiting, expectant, and I'm quite sure in some cases also just plain curious, as in the cases, for example, of his two high school classmates who were sitting in their families in the fourth and seventh pews, respectively, and his high school biology and chemistry teacher who was sitting in the first row of the balcony. At which point Jesus opened his mouth to preach, well, the shortest sermon you've ever heard, when what he said was, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus, in words which here in Luke very much function as his inaugural address, albeit the shortest one of those you've ever heard, says here in front of his family, friends, youth group leaders, Sunday school teachers, and all the rest who raised him and grew up with him, that the words Isaiah had truly spoken were not just true once for people back in the day, but they were true too. Indeed, they were true finally. Indeed, they were true ultimately this day. And the day after that too, and the day after that as well, in the flesh and blood presence of him. The lowly lifted up, the blind at last able to see the poor, at last getting to hear some good news for a change. It's important to notice that the word here translated as poor does absolutely refer to those poor in the sense of economic status, but it's also a broader word than that. It has to do with any factor at all, gender, 
race, family of origin, lack of education, illness, disability, or degrees of religious purity, the result of which was to have been assigned by the world to a place at the bottom of the world's ladders. But Jesus here will have nothing to do with that. Indeed, Jesus here and everywhere absolutely reverses that, saying that those whom the world judges and dismisses as outsiders and bottom feeders are in fact the very intentional objects of God's grace and mercy. As in, God doesn't just include the world's poor and its outsiders and its nobodies. God unlike the world, actually prefers the world's poor and its outsiders and its nobodies. Depending on how familiar you are with these beginning chapters of the Gospel of Luke, that overall theme of Jesus' first sermon here might or might not in fact sound quite familiar to you for its tone and its theme echoes the tone and theme his mother lifted up, not in an anointed by the Spirit sermon she preached, but rather in that anointed by the Spirit song that she sang after Gabriel had told her and then her kinswoman Elizabeth had reminded her that she, she of all people in the eyes of the world, a nobody in anybody's book, she would be the mother who would birth the fulfillment of the promise of all promises into the world. Remember what she sang? Great and mighty are you, O Holy One. Strong is your kindness evermore. How you favor the weak and lowly one, humbling the proud of heart. You have cast the mighty down from their thrones and uplifted the humble in heart. You have filled the hungry with wondrous things and left the wealthy no part. I do, I have, I will again, I'm sure, spent time pondering at times when and how it was that Jesus, as an actual human being, when and how it was exactly that he came to understand who he was and to understand what being who he was was meant to mean. Some of it, I imagine, came to him as he was raised by his father in the synagogue, raised in the word, like the words of the prophet Isaiah. Some of it, too, I imagine, came to him when he did things like pray and fast and commune with his father in heaven. But I wonder, actually no more strongly, I'm actually very convinced that another part of the way he came to understand who he was and what being who he was was meant to mean was because he was raised to listening to the stories and to the songs of his mother. Great and mighty are you, O Holy One, Strong is your kindness evermore. How you favor the weak and lowly one, humbling the proud of heart. In any event, by the time he came to preach a sermon in his hometown synagogue where he had been raised in the word, 
he had come to believe and now to preach and teach that God's preference for those most in need of being preferred, God's grace for those most wounded by the world's graceless and callous boorishness, and God's love for those whom the world loves to ignore or to use. It's not just something promised by a prophet. It was something now true and truly present and at work in the world, in the flesh and blood of him. You, me, we, his church, St. Paul says, are the flesh and blood of him, the body of Christ in the world today, which is a profound image which has much, much, much to teach us in so many ways every day. But one thing it says to us this day is this. The words of the prophet come true to, in Babylon, come true in Mary and her song, and come true above all in the teaching and preaching and life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are meant to come true too, are meant by the Holy Spirit of God to be true every day in the world, in flesh and blood, because we, the church, are the body of Christ sent into the world this day. Amen.